Welcome to Money in the Mind. Join Andy, a mental health therapist, and Aaron, an accountant, as they explore personal finance, psychology, and provide resources to help on your financial journey. All right. Well, on today's episode of Money in the Mind, we get a little bit uh, more real and that's what we want to do every episode here at Money in the Mind. So we're going to be talking about suicide. We're going to be talking about financial situations to where people might contemplate suicide. So Andy dives in a little bit to some of his personal experience. We talk about some of his work that he does. Ron kicks off the episode with a wonderful story. Super excited to have you here with us today. Again, we're going to hit it right at the beginning of this episode. If you have something you're struggling with and you know no way out, make sure to call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for tuning in today's episode. So we're going to start off our episode today with a, a somber story here. This is back in June where a student at the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, he was trading on the Robinhood app. And if you don't know what the Robinhood app is, it's just a trading platform where you can buy, you know, individual stocks. You can, you can do all various types of investing. And one of the perks of Robinhood is that it doesn't charge you commissions. So normally if you want to go buy a share of Apple, for example, that's a, of course, a very popular one these days. Um, I think they went over $2 trillion in market capitalization, which is insane. But anyways, if you want to buy a share of Apple, you can go onto the Robinhood app and you don't have to pay, you know, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven dollar commission to purchase a share of Apple. So that is Robinhood kind of in a nutshell. And the really, really tragic thing that happened is this, this UNL student, I believe he's from... Uh, Illinois, don't quote me on that, but the student Alexander Kearns, he was doing something called margin trading within the Robinhood app, which means you borrow money from a broker. They, they give you money and you take that money and you can invest it however you want. Now, the, the potential downside of this is, is when you borrow money to, to trade, to, you know, make investments, those, a broker, if you borrow it from a custodian like TD Ameritrade, I actually played some slow pitch softball the last couple of summers with, with someone who does margin calls. So if you're trading on margin and you're borrowing, another fancy word is just calling it using leverage to buy investments, whomever you borrowed from can do what's called a margin call and say, hey, you owe us every single dime of what you borrowed from us within x amount of hours i'm not i'm not an expert on how all this works but the basics is a margin call is calling the amount that you borrowed back and saying you need to give us this money back so the tragedy here is that um this student was apparently you know trading with leveraged borrowed funds and he had one day he saw a negative account balance of seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars so what happened is he actually committed suicide and the of course the link is that he did this because he was trading with leverage and didn't have the means to be able to 
to pay back what he borrowed. Because usually what happens with a margin call is people are losing money and who the the lender says, give us back everything now um, so that the person who borrowed money to buy investments doesn't continue to lose money. So he left a note um, that said, you know, I was a 20 year old with no income, able to be assigned almost a million dollars worth of leverage. I had no clue what I was doing now in hindsight. There was no intention to take on so much risk. So he had, I'm kind of just speculating now, just such an overwhelming sense of, I can't escape this. I don't know what to do about this. I only see one way out and very, very tragically committed suicide. So that's, that's kind of our topic today. Pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Andy, you've got uh, a lot of experience with this, both in, you know, your practice and in just some of your own personal experience. So we'll use that as a jumping off point today to talk about the tragedy and some of how, how financial stress can, can lead to a tragedy like suicide. Absolutely. So kind of like Ron said, we are talking about suicide today. And first and foremost, we're going to start by just stating that suicide is not an ugly word. Stop making it one and stop me. Stop being afraid of it. You know, it is September and it tends to be, I, I see a lot of out of the darkness walks. I see a lot of suicide prevention efforts, a lot of awareness being brought to suicide. And so we thought what a better episode to teach on and sorry, to speak on as, as something like suicide. So like I said, first and foremost, we're going to stop being afraid of it right now. If we're going to create an, um, an awareness around it, suicide cannot be an ugly word. So uh, the way that I see it in, in our profession, we have two different ways of looking at suicide. There's suicidal ideation and there's suicidal intent. Suicidal ideation is just having thoughts about killing yourself. Maybe you had a really tough day. Maybe something uh, really tragic happened. Something happened and you're just like, I, I, I can't. I can't deal with it. I just want it to be over. And, you know, I, you might say something like, ah, I just don't want to deal with this, with this garbage anymore. Now, suicidal ideation is just simply thoughts about it. Now, suicidal intent is not only having the thoughts, but having a plan of how to do it. I'm going to shoot myself. I'm going to cut myself. I'm going to hang myself, jump off a bridge, what have you. Having frequent thoughts, the desire to carry it out. This is when in my head as a professional, that's when the bells start going off and I start going, Oh, yeah, like when I'm doing an intake run and I ask him those, those questions about, you know, in the past uh, week to a month, have you had thoughts about killing yourself? They say, they say no. Then we move on to six months and then we move on to over the course of your lifetime. Have you had these thoughts? And if the answers are no, then we don't worry about it. Now, a lot of people are just like, listen, I can't handle crap anymore. And stuff is tough for me and and I just I want it to be over and then I ask okay well what's your plan well I don't have a plan I just I, I don't want to deal with this anymore it's like okay well are you going to kill yourself whoa well, no I'm not going to kill myself I just I just I'm I'm fed up with stuff well that that's more ideation if we can get people to do what's called contracting for safety and making sure that they are safe and they're good to go you know that's a whole different conversation than you know I'm going to kill myself on this day with this, doing this, boom. That's when it becomes very serious and we need to really take a lot more effort than just, hey, let's let's cope out with these thoughts, emotions, feelings around 
you wanting it to be over, but in, in keeping it in that ideation outside of intent. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense just to start to give us some definitions from a mental health perspective. Sure. And I personally don't have any frame of reference. I was telling you this before, Andy, for this, I have experienced anxiety and that's had physical impacts on me, but I am, you know, thankful that I've suicide isn't something I've had ideations of myself. Um, so I don't have a, I won't have a lot to bring to the table here um, other than just wanting to be able to help in some way. And right now it's a really stressful time for people. I found um, in the, our local paper, the Omaha World Herald, they had an article that was run just yesterday, Labor Day, as we're recording, and just saying how just COVID has increased feelings of depression in people. And that can be, you know, one of the potential steps along the way to suicide ideation. Just having, being in a time of, of a lot of uh, distress, feelings of depression, you know, other historical events like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, the Great Depression, major, major world events that have an impact on a lot of people can lead to increased depression. And you can, it makes sense why there would be more suicidal ideation coming from stressful times like this. Absolutely. So just some quick stats in 2018 and everything that we quote, I'm going to cite in, in our resources and our show notes and and what have you, just so if you want some more reading and some more insight into some of this, you absolutely have the ability. So I'm going to speak to your point about COVID. Ron, you're absolutely correct. It's really hurting people with the underlying conditions that a lot of people already have. You know, some people, a lot of people have a level of anxiety. Every single human has some anxiety. Sometimes it becomes clinical to the point where you can't function because of it. Same with depression. Everyone gets down every once in a while. Now, a lot of people have been managing these depressive and, and anxiety driven episodes pretty well, but with, with COVID, with the uncertainty, with the fear, with the quarantine, with you know, just people getting sick in general, a lot of things have been brought to the surface. And that's where I've seen a lot more people into the psych hospital at Lasting Hope just in the past six months than, than I would have, you know, potentially every other, ever, ever had seen before. So according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and that's one of the really awesome websites that's out there right now. And again, we'll link to that. In 2018, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death at about 48,000 deaths, as well as 1.4 million attempts. Now, these could be failed attempts. These could be potential overdosing, maybe hanging yourself and somebody finding you misfired guns, what have you. Those are those are related to the uh, attempts that we uh, see. Now, Ron, do you know who is at the highest risk for suicide? Do you do you know this answer? I don't, but can I guess? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my guess is like retirement age men, at least in the United States. You are absolutely correct. A lot of people say teenagers, but middle-aged white men are highest at risk. Now, I talked about this in a number of classes, whether that was my crisis management, whether that was my growth and development classes. So- a lot of men are, are taught 
at a very young age to put so much into their career and then, you know, so much into their family and so much into their kids that they rarely take time for themselves. They don't build a lot of uh, bromantic or other male relationships to where they can be on deeper levels with other men where a lot of women have at least, you know, one to two to three other females in their lives where they can really connect with them and talk about their struggles on, on a very deeper, on a much deeper level. Whereas men are very often taught, not just men, but women are as well, but men more often are taught to repress a lot of those emotions and repress a lot of those desires to connect as, as it being seen as maybe, you know, less than, and men need to be successful at their jobs. And so a lot of the time when men become very good at their jobs and they've invested in their family, uh, you see the suicide rate go up with men in their mid forties to late, uh, all the way to late sixties, because even once after retirement age, a lot of men don't know what to do with themselves. And, and therefore a lot of that contemplation of suicide starts coming into play. So, yeah, like I said, I, I think that's an interesting little nugget of information of, who's at the highest risk for suicide. So let's make it pertinent, Ron, right? We, we talk about money. Money-related suicide is very pertinent. I found an article. It's called The Silent Killer. It was from an article published by a, um, a researched blogger from, I believe, the UK. And it said over 420,000 people in problem debt consider taking their own life in England each year. And more than 100,000 people in debt actually attempt suicide. So people that are literally in debt, they have, uh, and, and actually I found this too, people who have completed suicide were eight times more likely to be in debt, according to another study. And like I said, we'll, we'll link to both of those studies done, or we'll, we'll link to both of those studies as well. So people in problem debt are three times more likely to have considered suicide than people who are not in problem debt. And long-term factors such as persistent poverty and financial insecurity can put people at a risk of becoming suicidal. And sudden triggers like the intimidating, threatening letters from like lenders and bill collectors can really intensify those issues as well. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine someone in a situation where they're burdened by massive amounts of debt, the incredible hopelessness that that they might be facing. Uh, I, I found an example from, we haven't mentioned Dr. Brad Klontz in a while, but his book, Mind Over Money, has many instances of money disorders or just the, the troubles that our beliefs about money can have. And one example he gave, which which uh, I hadn't heard of this, and I, I'd be interested in the history here. But uh, in the 1990s, during there was a the Asian currency crisis. So you know the various currencies in Asian countries might have been devalued. Again, I'd I'd like to know about this. It's not history I'm familiar with, but the the suicide rates during that time among men rose at twice the rate as that among women. They, a lot of you know, severe distress, anxiousness, depression, there was an increased rate of murder suicides. So men especially were facing financial disaster and they just felt like they had no other options again. So it's it's scary, but what it's really, really easy to my, in my estimation to think what, what else can I possibly do to fix this? And if the answer is nothing, then it's a very kind of logical next step to think, okay, well, I'm just going to take myself out of the picture. Exactly. 
And, you know, we, we could go on and on and on about suicide and, and you know, cite more statistics and whatnot. I, th- I think most of us can agree that suicide isn't a great thing. And we acknowledge that it exists and it is a definite problem in today's age. And money is closely tied a lot when it comes to suicide. So I know we usually don't hit it this quickly in our podcast, Ron, but if you have some more stats, if you have some more stories, I, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Otherwise I want to start like ripping on like, or ripping out some applicable steps and like what we can actually do to help people. Yeah. Well, another thing that I found from um, the Klontz book, Mind Over Money is how the impact of trauma can create you know, pathways in the brain that can just linger and they, you hold on to them long after, you know, you've experienced a traumatic event and that can have lasting impacts. Maybe it's repeated often over time. If you, if you have trauma, you know, there's particularly tough forms of it. Of course, the likelihood that maybe you'd have suicidal tendencies, ideation could be increased. What was another one? I, I've been, this is kind of, uh, funny to me i don't know but i've actually andy been watching someone stream on youtube the video game uh the last of us part two Mm. and you played you and i or you played the first the first one and i just i actually watched i watched somebody stream the second one but or the first and second one but it's a it's kind of like a zombie apocalypse apocalypse type game and the second one has a really kind of interesting scenario and i won't spoil it but it's a very story and character driven game and uh, true to life in some ways very not true to life in others but one of the themes that it deals with is how how do you how do you deal with this post-traumatic stress that you just cannot cannot shake you cannot get over it it won't leave you you continue to to see this traumatic event over and over and over again in your mind, you know, it can be triggered by maybe, maybe a sudden noise or whatever the case may be. And one of the characters in the game is constantly, constantly dealing with this post-traumatic stress. And I, I just finished the person who was streaming, watching the playthrough of it. And, and this person didn't know what to do with the post-traumatic stress. So her solution was, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to end the person's life who I think is the cause of this. And I think that will end that will help with my post-traumatic stress. So, you know, whether it's violence against yourself or someone else, I think I, I thought it was just a very human take on another example of what someone might want to do when they just feel like they have no other options, whether it's coming from a place of trauma, extreme financial distress or other you know, extreme stress that people experience. Yeah. And, and you are, that is a phenomenal thing to say. I don't want to get too much into trauma other than saying that a lot of people that have suicidal intent, again, that's that piece that's like, Hey, I'm literally gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just a couple steps away from doing this. Many, many of them have trauma. And I can't tell you how many times that I have worked with abused people who have been abused, who have severe trauma, who have that homicidal ideation toward their abuser or toward the people that have hurt them. And I can't tell you how much of my therapy 
revolves around working with people that haven't ha- have had intense trauma. One of the things that I did find, and I'm and I'm not going to um, directly s- cite it because it was a bit of an older article. It was from 2012, but it was done by oh man, uh, I can't remember what country it was somewhere in the South Pacific, but they did a study over how not everyone who had completed suicide necessarily had a history of mental illness. And I want to point that out. You do not have to have an underlying mental condition to complete suicide. A lot of people think, oh, they were just so troubled. Oh, they were just, you know, like, and, and that is true. So many people that complete suicide do have some real troubling issues, but not every single person has like major depressive disorder or schizophrenia or um, general anxiety disorder. A lot of them do, but suicide doesn't necessarily mean that this person had some some sort of diagnosable mental issue. Kind of like this one guy who we heard about at the beginning of the podcast. I don't know a lot of his history. I don't know what happened, but I could imagine like seeing a deficit of $750,000 as a glitch in a system. Like that would just get me wetting my pants. That would make me make some very irrational, impulsive decisions. I'm sure. I did want, before we go into applicable steps run, we had talked a little bit about my personal struggle with suicide. I've definitely in high school, a little bit in college, and even now in my adult life, I've struggled with some suicidal ideation. So I've definitely had a lot of those thoughts sometimes when when I just, I, I want it to be over. I can't handle it. I can't do it. And so to kind of segue into applicable steps, understanding the risk and protective factors. These are two things that we harp on a lot at in in the psych hospital is understanding your risk factors. What are things that could happen in your life that are going to cause you to think about ending your life? This could be anything like if I lose my job, if my wife or husband leaves me, if my kid disowns me, if even those, those are pretty heavy things, albeit. But just things like, I know just having a series of bad days or having a depressive episode that lasts five days in a row, these are all risk factors that could lead to some of that ideation and then potentially some of that intent. Now, protective factors are just what you think they are. It's things that could protect you from from doing, from uh, contemplating suicide for, for too long. So a good protective factor is just having people to reach out to. I can't tell you how many people that I work with who just don't have anyone on the outside that they can rely on. And that's, that, that's, that's an awful thing. So I work on helping them establish maybe a potential network. And so those protective factors, maybe it's taking a little bit more alone time. Maybe it's just pigging out on some ice cream that you love. It, it could be little things that can either help distract you or help you accept that, hey, these feelings, these dark, dark, dark feelings that I'm experiencing right now are real. And here's how I'm going to deal with it. Andy, you told me, you know, as we were kind of trying to figure out what we were going to talk about on this episode, you told me that your dad actually experienced some deep financial distress and it's it's not necessarily related to suicidal ideation, but a good financial example of just another way that someone can say, how in the world am I going to resolve this? Uh, and some of the effect it can have. Oh, absolutely. So 
when I was in uh, very late middle school and throughout high school, my my dad decided to go back to Metropolitan Community College and get his like realtor license because he had been working for the same company for many, many years. And he just kind of wanted to own his own property and rent it out. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't realtor license. It was some sort of something uh, to where he could be, you know, an effective landlord and understand it. Well, so one of his, one of his teachers decided that, Hey, I, you know, I would love to help you out. I'd love to be your, your subcontractor to kind of navigate the contractors and get this thing built and whatnot. And eventually this son of a bitch emptied out and took all the money out against the loans that the bank had offered us and left state. He was charged with a misdemeanor, so they couldn't uh, extradite him. And my dad was left carrying hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of debt. And I remember him telling me, and it didn't, it, it didn't bode as heavily when I was in, you know, middle to late high school as it does now to really understand maybe some of those effects of anxiety. But he yeah, he would tell me, he's like, I don't know what, what, what's going to happen. And this was a little bit later in my life when he was dealing with it, but he's like, I've gone, you know, four or five days without sleep because I'm literally sick to my stomach because I don't know what's going to happen. And fortunately all of this had been, has been since resolved, but oh, it's our fire alarm. I promise our house is not on fire. Sometimes <laughs> when we're using the oven, yep. our smoke alarm goes on. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but yes, these these financial situations that are very safe and whatnot, like they can turn very south very soon, and and they can just produce just this overwhelming hopelessness. Uh, but yeah, yeah you're, you're right. This, this can, can be just a normal everyday kind of occurrence. People, yeah, and it it can happen quickly. <laughs> it can happen out of the blue. Um, you find out money's been stolen from you. You find out. I don't know. You look on your Robinhood app and you see thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of, of debt and then maybe a margin call. Is, is it true, Andy, that a lot of a lot of suicide attempts, successful or not, are they happen because it's just they have it was a, a spontaneous thing where, oh, there's I know someone who's got a firearm or, or I what, whatever the case might be, they have, they have an easy way to do it and they, it, they haven't considered it a whole lot and it's fairly spontaneous. Is that true or? Yes and no. Um, I've seen, I've seen people that have had multiple attempts at suicide. I've seen people on their very first attempt at suicide. It can be spontaneous. It can be well thought out. Um, what I do want to do as far as this education piece regarding suicide is that suicide is, 99.9% of people don't want to stop living. They just do not know a viable way out of the situation that they're experiencing. And they truly can only consider taking their own life as the only solution. So I want to get that out there right away. So I can see suicide as being a spontaneous thing. And obviously every time we see suicide, it's, oh my gosh, they were so happy. And so whatever. it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's depression. Like depression isn't, oh, I'm always sad. Depression can be, I'm going to put on a face, but we can get to that in a little bit. But yeah, having means to access or sorry, having access to means of suicide can greatly increase the, the uh, um, likelihood of suicide. So a uh, good example. 
more men complete suicide via firearms, more women complete suicide via like overdoses. And truly, as what I learned in my classes, that's a vanity thing. Men do not care what they look like in that cassette. Women still want to be remembered in in some sort of nicer way. At least that's that's the research that I was given regarding some of those things. But yes, one of the things that I recently listened to was having access to means and, and the kind of means that you want. So like if I was only going to complete suicide via firearm and I don't have easy access to firearms, then there's a good chance that I'm never going to complete suicide because as long as I keep a gun out of my house, then it's not easy for me to do. I don't want to overdose. I don't want to hang myself. Like, you know, it's just not something that, that would cross that, that spectrum of mind of somebody who wants to complete suicide via that way. More often than not, people have one way that they're thinking about it. I've talked to many people, uh, again, other people that like, well, I mean, they're going to hang or I'm going to jump or, you know, or I'm going to throw myself out in front of traffic. But suicide is just kind of a, and, and knowing more about suicide is, is so pertinent. And that's why we want to educate. So first of all, never, ever, 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 ever minimize your situation. The phrase, well, somebody, somebody else has it worse needs to be deleted from your mind. It is a good thing to understand that yes, people do have it worse, but my situation is my own and it's making me feel like shit. And I'm being explicit in this episode because I want people to know how freaking serious this is. So having the phrase, well, somebody else has it worse, not only minimizes your situation and how things are making you feel, but it also creates a sense of shame around what you are feeling like, well, and we've talked about it before, delete the word should, I should from your vocabulary. Well, I shouldn't feel so bad about what's going on. Well, here's the deal. You are feeling like crap about what's going on and that's okay. What are we going to do about it though? Be blunt with how you talk about people that you love about this. Literally ask the question if you start to hear some of these phrases, which I have a whole Mayo Clinic signs that we're going to get to. But if you hear some of these signs, literally ask the person, have you been thinking about killing yourself? Do not tiptoe around this. That is a phrase that I use multiple times at my job. Are you thinking about killing yourself right now? Are you thinking about taking a bed sheet? Are you thinking about once you leave here and get discharged, are you going to kill yourself? Just be as blunt and as honest as you can. People respond to that. Like, you know what? I, I have. And I don't like that. Because I can't tell you how many people don't like the fact that they're thinking about killing themselves. Ron, do you have anything you want to fill in before I continue on? I think I've been talking for like 10 minutes straight. I got, I found an example from uh, excellent Wall Street Journal columnist, Jason Zweig. He, uh, from his book, Your Money in Your Brain, he was talking about the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. And he said the most terrible devastation wrought by Chernobyl did not come out of its nuclear reactors. It came from the human mind. So some people were able to flee the area, but people that were unemployed, people that were impoverished, that had to kind of stick around that area where the, you know, the nuclear, whatever devastation was kind of still in the area. Um, and I don't, I didn't watch the TV show. I don't know much about the Chernobyl incident, to be honest, but, but stop, he says, watch it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't know if I if I'm ready for it, but he talked about how anxiety, depression, al- alcoholism, suicide ran rampant among the residents who could not afford to leave the area. Women performed, you know, fearing that their unborn babies would be poisoned. Women expectant mothers performed hunt a hundred thousand abortions. It says so, uh, like just the people that stayed there. It's another example. They they didn't know what else they could do, well, but just leave, just get out of there. Well. <laughs> You don't, we don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. So how can you say to someone that just leaving is an easy solution? Oh, Um, absolutely. And and that's, that's the next piece of education. Never, never try to find a simple solution for suicide. If somebody comes to you and they're, they're contemplating this and they're like, I'm struggling so badly and I don't know what else to do. Do not come up with a simple solution with them. I want to talk a little bit about sympathy and empathy here, right? So we've talked about it. We have to have talked about it before. So if you want more information, uh, go to Dr. Brene Brown. She has done extensive and exhaustive uh, research on empathy and sympathy. So simply put, empathy is literally putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Sympathy is just kind of feeling sorry for them. So a good example, if somebody says, you know, hey, um, I'm really struggling with um, maybe I've lost a child or Maybe somebody's come to you and said, like, I, I had a stillbirth or or I've lost the the pregnancy, you know, five months in. The person with empathy would say something like, That sounds terrible. Do you want to talk more about it? Because I'm here for you. Somebody with sympathy might say, Hey, that sounds bad. At least you know you could get pregnant. And that right there, even saying that as somebody Yikes. who can't can't physically Yeah, right. Yikes. That's a stab. But that's sympathy sympathy is trying to find like a silver lining and everything instead of just allowing somebody to just wow this sucks this is terrible what can i do yeah it's kind of you were talking about not minimizing your own feelings about something like your your feelings about a situation matter they're completely valid and having someone else you know have a, a sympathy response is kind of a a subtle way of saying your thought of thoughts about this don't matter to me. So that's where I'm going to go with my next point. I am going to see, and we always do many people are going to be posting on social media about being someone that you can reach out for help. I think this is awesome. I think it is so stinking cool that we have people that want to help those struggling. But here's the thing educate yourself about this. When somebody is in crisis, when somebody is literally holding a gun to their head and saying, I don't know what else to do. If you don't know what to do in that situation, educate yourself, train yourself, talk to somebody who does know what to do in that situation, because it is a very scary situation to be with somebody who's like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm I am struggling so hard. So when people are in crisis, they're a whole different person. When somebody's actively suicidal, it can be very frightening, especially to someone who doesn't deal with it all the time. So folks who are posting on social media about being an advocate and being somebody who who will be there for somebody for suicide, like just make sure you know what's going on and what you can do to really help. So what signs can you look for? According to the Mayo Clinic, look for these signs. If somebody is talking about suicide, for example, making statements like, I'm going to kill myself, or I wish I was dead, that could be a sign that they want to die. It seems silly. It seems blunt. But again, 
so many people don't know what to do when somebody's like, ah, oh, just wish I was dead. Because a lot of the time they're like, I think they were joking. That's when you come back with a, hey, do you really want to be dead? Is that something that you're struggling with right now? Because if you are, I want you to talk to me about it. Okay. Getting the means to take your own life, such as buying a gun or stockpiling pills. So if you see somebody who's never owned a gun before, who's been against firearms or somebody who is against like the belief of, of having pain pills or whatever, and you see this happening, like that's a sign. <laughs> Again, these seem silly, but they're very obvious and they're, they're, they're missed a lot. The other thing is, is withdrawing contact more with others more than usual. Like even though staying at home may be recommended in, during like COVID, example, not responding to any type of communication such as calls, text, other messages. If you're not hearing from someone a lot, um, that could be a sure sign. Just reach out to that person like, hey man, I haven't heard you in, in you know a couple of weeks. Just wanted to check on you and you know, can we set up a time to talk or even right now? The other thing is, is having extreme mood swings such as being very emotionally high one day and very deeply discouraged the next. That could be a very good sign, like somebody who's going up and down consistently, who usually does not do that. Somebody who's being very preoccupied with death, dying, or violence, that's another sign. Feeling trapped or hopeless about a situation. Again, this is one of those things that you might look at that situation and be like, dude, there's an easy solution to this. For them, it might not be an easy solution. You've got to work through that with them by just, again, being somebody who can listen. Hey, I understand you've been talking about death and dying a lot lately. Can you tell me about that? Not everyone has to be a trained therapist in order to listen to someone. Um, somebody might start using a lot of alcohol or drugs, like a lot of alcohol or drugs. Changing your normal routine, including eating or sleeping. Let's say somebody who you know normally eats three meals a day and gets eight hours of sleep at night is getting two hours of sleep at night and is never, and is nonstop eating big sign of that. Giving away your belongings or getting affairs in order when there's no need to do so, that's a big one. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to be too blunt about this person, but I had a person recently who I've kind of been on the fence about, always worry about this person a little bit with when they talk to me. And this person just reached out and just said, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate your friendship and whatnot. And it sounded almost like a goodbye. So immediately I was like, hey, are you thinking about killing yourself? Because again, I'm not going to tiptoe around it. It is a blunt question. I trust this person. This person trusts me. It's someone that I have rapport with. And it's somebody that I'm going to ask that question about. Oh, no, I'm not. I just, I want, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. Okay, good. Cause you've, you've given signs in the past that make it seem like maybe you're going to let the depression get the best of you. So again, being comfortable with asking those questions. So those are just some simple ways that, that you can start to see some of those things. Now, I'm not saying like, hey, somebody's happy-go-lucky and and maybe they're just like, man, I had a rough day. You, the first thing out of your mouth shouldn't be, are you going to kill yourself? Like, just listen to them about their rough day. And then obviously, like, start to educate yourself with as many resources as you can. You know, we're going to be putting out with this episode of how to cope, deal, and handle with uh, people contemplating suicide, right? I got to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciate this, Andy, because I am the type of person I, oh man, 
very much to my own detriment am a conflict avoider so i would be kind of extremely hesitant to ask somebody to be blunt but i think i think just from being on this conversation uh i think i've got a better willingness and i hope a hundred percent willingness to be blunt with somebody if i start to perceive some of those warning signs so yeah. just coming you know someone who i honestly i don't know a whole lot about this but i do see people i follow on twitter and such and seeing a lot of people saying hey i hear you i see you you know that's kind of a mindset i've wanted to take as well when gosh was it two years ago when anthony bourdain committed suicide and all of the people that were saying wow he he had such a great life. He got to travel all, all over the world, but you you just never ever ever know what what that someone's person is dealing with. And that's yeah. the kind of and that's the kind of statement. Those are the kind of bullshit statements that cause people not to reach out. Hey, yeah. I have a good job. I have a great family. Obviously, I'm not supposed to feel like this. So you've I'm got just, millions of dollars. Yep, millions so I'm going to suppress this as hard as I can until finally I can't take enough. That's the other thing. Never shame someone about suicide. That's the other thing. Like I used to be one of those people that believed that suicide was the most selfish thing that you could ever do. It's not selfish. Most people rarely want to die damn near. And like I said, I can't, I couldn't find a good stat about this, but every single person that I talk to doesn't want to die. They don't know what to do. They just want that pain to end. They don't know where to go. Never think that somebody is contemplating suicide for attention. Again, one of my stupid falls is that I used to think, well, suicide is just a, a cry for attention and I cannot stress it enough. If you think somebody is crying out for attention or you think it's whatever, allow professionals to assess somebody. I, you know, if, if, if you want just some help on like somebody you're struggling with and you have a few more questions that you want to ask, email us, reach out to me, text me, call me. I don't care what it is. If you want some more assistance on like how to identify like people crying out for, crying out for attention and people genuinely crying out for help, like ask somebody if you are not a professional and you are not doing this every single day, you cannot make that determination on whether somebody is crying out for help or somebody's just doing it for attention. Okay. That's what I want to say about that. And the other thing, if you are in a dark enough place where there's no hope, check yourself into a hospital, go to an ER, go to a psych hospital. There is no shame in getting help. If you don't know how to get help and you have a gun in your mouth, if you have a handful of pills in your hand, if you are cutting, if you are about to hang yourself, go to the ER. They will know what to do. They will know where to send you. They will know who to help you or call somebody, call somebody. And if you are somebody and, and, and I don't know how much more of attention I want to go on, but if you are somebody that has personally dealt with somebody who has completed suicide and you feel hopeless, like, oh, I should have done, I should have done, I should have done. A lot of the times, man, suicide for some people, it's unavoidable. Some people ultimately, and in the psych hospital community, sometimes we have to understand we can't help everyone. And that's a shitty realization, but it is, a tr it is a true thing that is just something that happens. You can't help everyone, especially being a therapist who talks with people about suicide every day. You can't help everyone, 
but here are some really cool ways that you can try to start helping people that are in your life. Well, it sounds like we're getting close to a good stopping point here. Just one observation I've seen, I think a, a healthy trend is seeing normalization of just general mental health and, and suicide is one of the those topics that the the shaming it doesn't seem to be happening there's a an incredible amount of compassion that people have that that i see and just a general sense of hey we want to help you're not weak if you have thoughts like this you're not like faulty in some way and and i think that's just that's good there's so many people that that want to help and that, that includes us. If people are finding this because they want to hear about something money related, it's not, boy, are we one of the first money podcasts to talk about suicide? Maybe not, but it's a, a good platform for us. And yeah. I, I appreciate what you have to say, Andy, t- today, because it's just, it's, it's, it's been helpful to me. Well, and just to, just to finalize, man, like I can't imagine it at any sort of financial situation that you could be in that is that is legal, okay? I've been watching Ozark lately, so <laughs> so I cannot imagine a single legal financial situation that you can get yourself in that you cannot recover from. You might have to make intense sacrifices, but it is not worth taking your own life. And if you need help, Ron and I are here. I'm a trained professional. Ron has ex- incredible, incredible financial advice to give. So if you need help, reach out. We're here for you. Yeah, reach out to us. We'll provide plenty of links and resources for you. And this is uh, this is Annie and Ron, Money in the Mind, reminding you to manage your money. Don't let it manage you.